Well, good evening. It's good to be with you once again as we continue our study in Hebrews. I'd like to invite you to join me in reading from Hebrews chapter 5. We'll read verse 11 through verse 3 of chapter 6. And we'll read in verse number 11. Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permit. Well, you may remember that over the last couple weeks, we've been introduced to the idea of Jesus as priest. That just as an Old Testament priest in the Bible and the Jewish culture and tradition represented the people to God and offered sacrifices for sins on their behalf and for himself, so Jesus came and represented us to the Father and offered Himself as the ultimate once and for all sacrifice on the cross, which we just sang about. And just as a priest in the Old Testament and the Jewish people that he's writing to would have been very familiar with this, was a man. He was taken from among the people to represent the people so that he would have compassion on the people. He would know what the people were going through and would even offer sacrifices for himself first and then offer sacrifices for the people. So Jesus came and was left heaven and became a man and represented men in that way. He understood what it meant to be human, although he was fully God, and he, and he knows how to relate to us. He knows what we go through. He knows some of the difficulties we experience and some of the emotions we have, and it says that he was tempted in all points like you and I are. And the only difference between him and us in that sense is that he was without sin, but he knew what it was to be human. He became a man, fully God, fully man, and then laid down his life on the cross for us as that sacrifice for sin. And so, you may have come today with your notebook remembering that I had managed to skip that whole little verse about Melchizedek, right? You, you heard the name Melchizedek and you thought, well, we're going to learn a lot about Melchizedek. And then you realize that I managed to just skip right on by and barely say anything about it. And you thought maybe I was either avoiding it or you got your notebook out and you wrote down, we're going to learn about Melchizedek. January 31st here as we continue our study of Hebrews. And you're all prepared to learn everything there is to know about this character who has such a long name in the Bible. And so if you're prepared for that because you don't like spoilers and you didn't read ahead, you're going to be sadly disappointed. We're not going to talk at all about Melchizedek, although I've managed to say his name about six times so far, because 
um, because the writer of Hebrews pauses. In verse number 10 of chapter number 5, you'll recall he said about Jesus that he was called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But he's not going to bring up Melchizedek again until really chapter 7. At the very end of chapter 6, he references Melchizedek again, and then he'll go into an explanation to continue to remind us, remind his reader all that's so important about who Jesus was and what he came to accomplish and how important it was for those readers, especially those with the Jewish background, to fully understand how this all is put together and fits together. But he's going to pause and he's going to say at least three things in these verses that come in between. And it, you could almost put a parenthesis, a big parenthesis, uh, there at chapter 5, verse 11, all the way through into chapter number 7. And all of these verses that come in between, he's going to continue to talk about Jesus as priest. But before all of that, he's going to pause and he's going to address three things, two of which we'll all look at tonight, all right? But these three things, he's going to talk about infancy, He's going to talk about maturity, and he's going to talk about apostasy. He feels like he needs to address some things, and perhaps like sometimes when you're a parent giving instructions to your kids, and you're telling them something, trying to explain something, and then you see the expression on their face, and you realize, okay, I need to pause and, and go a little different direction, and I need to explain something that comes before. That seems to be what is happening here. So we're going to look at these verses that we just read in two ways. One is... We'll just call it failure to thrive. Failure to thrive, verses 11 through verse number 14. And then encouragement to grow in chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And so first of all, failure to thrive. The first thing he points out is that although there is much to say about the realities of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he came to accomplish, he's finding it difficult to explain to them because they're having difficulty listening. And so verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. Why are they so hard to say? Because ye are dull of hearing. There's a lot that needs to be said, and he's going to say it, but he says, I need to point out that it seems as if that as I'm trying to say these things, as these things are being said, you're being it's very difficult for you to be catching on with what's going on. You're dull of hearing. It seems to be describing maybe, I don't know if any of you have taken, uh, you've gone on an airplane, and the first thing they do as you're kind of getting ready to take off is the flight attendants step out, and they do this big, long explanation. The problem is, there's lots of other things to do while they're explaining what seems to be unnecessary information about where the life vests are, I think, and stuff pops from the ceiling, and there's like a whistle you can blow, and all sorts of other things like that. And uh, it, I don't know how many people pay attention, but there's certainly a lot of people, uh, I think I probably fit in that whole group, that don't pay as much attention as we should. And the last time I flew, I got to get moved up to that spot right by the door after they gave the explanation, and then I thought, maybe I should have paid a little bit of attention, because you're supposed to know these things if you're sitting right by the, the exit, and then the door flew off that Alaskan airline, and so I'm not going to stand sit by the doors if I can help it anymore. Uh, but it's, it's, not, it's not talking about <clears throat> finding things difficult to understand. That's not what he's saying. He's not writing to these Christians. He's not writing to them and saying, um, 
you're having a hard time learning. And so he, he, it's, that's not at all what he's saying. He, he's, this idea of dull of hearing is this sluggishness to, to learn or hear. Really, they're being lazy. They're, they're slow to learn the things that they should be learning. And the expectation is, is that they would be far beyond where they're at, that they would actually be in a position to be teachers. And because of their lazy hearing... They have failed to grow. It's interesting how when Jesus would, you know, talk to the multitudes or preach messages that it was oftentimes not the most learned, seemingly well-educated or intelligent people that had the hardest time hearing what Jesus had to say. It seems like the sinners or the common people or those who were perhaps less educated, the blind man who probably didn't learn how to read, they heard Jesus and they followed Jesus and they seemed to get what Jesus was saying and it affected their lives as they began to follow Jesus in a way that was far different than those who, were, who had ears but they weren't ears to hear. I guess there were ears to put your glasses on. But Jesus would always say, right, if you have ears to hear, what's he saying? Are you, have, are you interested in learning? Are you eager to learn? If they were eager to learn and it was just difficult to learn, then he wouldn't have written it this way. In Hebrews, we wouldn't have it written this way. It, it seems as if they had made some progress, but they had become what you can, you can there's a group of people that, that become something of professional students. <clears throat> and this is in someone, interestingly enough, who, who might go to college, for example, and that seven years later, they're still a full-time student, and they're, they're a sophomore. They, they have managed to, to continue to go to school and make a lifestyle out of going to school, but due to the fact that they don't show up to all the classes, and they don't show up to all the test days, and they don't really take seriously writing their papers and things, that they don't progress, and after a while, they actually begin to regress. It's as if they didn't go to, it's almost worse off than, than they did because they're building in habits and not understanding things, not putting things, things, uh, some things together. And so as he continues to write, he, he says, really, you should be at this point in verse 12, teachers. You ought to be teachers. The Bible warns us. It says, be not many masters. Be not many teachers. Don't be too quick to want to be a teacher. Um, we don't want to be filled with arrogance and pride. We don't want to get too far ahead. We want to learn and we want to grow. But in, in this situation, they should have become teachers. They should have really experienced what it meant to be a Christian. That should have been lived out in their life. They should know the Word of God. And they should be teachers at this stage. And he says, "Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong drink. And so we have to imagine, if you would, with me. <clears throat> you visit a new town and you walk into the restaurant and you look around and the town looks fairly normal except as you look around everyone in the restaurant, the businessmen in their, their business suits and the uh, different people, all adults doing their different things. The, the, un the unusual thing is they're all, instead of eating real food, they're all, they all have very large baby bottles full of, full of milk. And they're all, they're all drinking from baby bottles. And all it is is milk. And they all have diapers on. And you, you, you walk in and you say, you know, this is rather unusual. This is somewhat strange. Normally you expect 
certain stages of life that these things sort of generally fit. And, and it's really, really strange. And so you go out to your car and you grab some beef jerky that you had you were snacking on and some trail mix and you bring that in and say, maybe they've never, maybe they've never realized that you can eat other things besides milk. And you start offering it around and they kind of chew on it for a minute and then they spit it out. And they say, that's just too much work to try to chew on stuff like that and the trail mix and it's just, you know, milk. It's just, it's just refreshing and easy to take in. And, and, and we realize that what, 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 we're, what we're reading here is that these individuals who should have grown up, they should have moved beyond just being spoon-fed Gerber's crushed peas or whatever it is, they should be beyond this. They are not only haven't grown beyond it, but they're having a hard time wanting to engage with what it means to be a grown-up, what it means to grow up. They're failing to thrive in the way you would expect. These first principles are very much like the ABCs that you learn in school. Do you remember this, right? A says A as in apple, right? B says B as in banana. You'd think they would use fruits, but I guess they change that up sometimes. But um, you learn your ABCs, you learn the song, and and, and that's part of growing up. And it's really exciting and great when you see young people learning their, their ABCs. But if grandma comes over, you know, for Christmas dinner, and there's a 16, 17-year-old there, and the grandmother asks, so what kinds of things are you learning these days in school? And he says, well, it's very exciting. I can, I can just about finish my ABC song. Oh, interesting. Okay, what are you reading today, these days in school? Well, you know, the little red hen, I'm, I'm learning about animals and the sounds they make, and the grandmother would would be probably correct in, in wondering what wasn't quite normal about the growth process that you would expect in someone who's been growing up. And so he says, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He's like a, a, a baby. We could, we could go over to the nursery and we could, we, could, we could look and see the different ages of progression. And, and he says, someone who's, who's using milk is unskillful in the word. They, they, they haven't learned to grapple with any sort of complexity. They're still a baby. And strong meat belongeth to them that are a full, full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So this seems to be something of the lifestyle that we're, we're expecting of someone who who's going through any sort of growth process. And we think about this in terms of what it means to follow Christ. Because this is what Hebrews is talking. It's talking about who Jesus is and, 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 and what Jesus came to accomplish and how he's greater than, than even Moses and, and greater than, than Aaron. We'll talk about that. And Joshua and, and angels and, and who Jesus is and what we have in him and what it means to follow him. But this seems to be something of the idea. You become a Christian. You exercise faith in Jesus Christ and what he's come to accomplish on the cross. You hear the gospel. And you become a Christian, and at some sense, you're a baby Christian. You're learning elementary truths. We think particularly of, of those who haven't grown up in church or those who maybe are on a, a mission field somewhere who maybe have never heard Jesus' name ever before, never read a Bible, ne- never heard a Sunday school lesson. Imagine uh, what that would be like. I can't because I grew up in church. 
But I can only imagine what it would be like to learn and just be learning these very new things about, about Jesus. And what does Peter say? He says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. And then you begin to apply the elementary things that you learn. You learn your alphabet, and you begin to put words, letters together, and the sounds that the letters together make. And you begin to associate them with words on a page, and you begin to learn how to write, and you begin to exercise these skills. They might ask you to come up in front of the class and spell cat or something like that, and that's terrifying. And, and so you're, but you're beginning to put these things into use, beginning to read, and it's sort of clumsy at first, but you're encouraged and helped through the big words, and you begin to apply the things that you learn. And so as a Christian, you begin to apply the things you're learning about the Bible, about Jesus, about a former lifestyle versus a lifestyle that's reflective of following Christ. And then with the elementary things in place, and now with some application of the things you're beginning to learn, and then applying those things that you're learning, at, at some point in your life, you are in a position to lead others, to, to help others along, to be a teacher. And that's a wonderful cycle of, of what it means to grow up and become an adult, physically and socially and spiritually. But these individuals who the writer of Hebrews is concerned about as he's explaining these truths that were so important to them, they were unskillful in the word. They were like babies. They were sluggish to take in what they learned and to apply it. And we're using just lots of, imagine, lots of pictures coming to my head as we're, as we're talking about this. But this is very much what he's saying. He's, it's not doesn't seem, sound very nice to me, but that's what he's saying. He's saying you're like babies. You haven't learned the things that you should be learning. And, and if you're not a baby, it's like, you know, it's like the man who has been hearing things for so long or uh, the fellow who in his basement, he's been collecting a gym equipment for the last few years. And uh, he's been collecting, you know, the motivational pictures that you put on the wall and posters. And uh, he's got the elliptical and he's got the, the, the bench press and he's got all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, weights. And he's got the shoes and he's got the powder you put on your hands and all of this stuff. And after 10 or 20 years of collecting posters and equipment, he's in worse shape than he was when he started. He started well in a sense, right? But after enough time of not applying the things he's learning and living them out in his life, he hasn't, he hasn't even started on what you would expect someone who's truly trying to take care of his body or, or whatever context we can imagine this being applied to. And so the lesson is clear. I would expect you to be teachers with understanding of the Christian life that can only come from learning and then living these things, no matter how clumsily you might begin to apply these things. But instead, you haven't progressed beyond the elementary understanding of the Scriptures. And let's take a moment and look at a parallel passage. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, so just a few pages, uh, books back to the left in your Bibles. And we'll read another uh, portion uh, of the Bible that speaks to something similar. So this is Paul writing a letter to a particular people in Corinth, and they were, uh, had developed some sort of um, 
fractions, uh, factions uh, related to some different personalities. Some people had been influenced by a man named Apollos, and some had gone all the way back to Paul, and uh, some had been influenced by Peter and, and different things, and there was evidently just something going on. Um, I don't know. You've all played on a playground. You've all been in school. You understand how these things happen. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, we have Paul writing, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even unto as babes in Christ. He uses the same explanation, doesn't he? Everyone knows about babies and what we expect of them and childish and then growing up and the responsibilities we expect from an adult. He said, I couldn't speak to you that way. I had to speak to you as, as babes. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not, not, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So he says, I'm sensing, I'm looking around and I'm seeing envying and I'm seeing strife and it's divisions and it's a lot like the playpen, right? Where there's two toddlers and they're hitting each other, uh, other, hitting each other over the head with the truck and the baby bottles and all of this. And he says, really, when we follow Christ, when we learn of Christ, it looks very different. When we read in Philippians chapter 2 about the mind of Christ and the humility of Christ and the willingness of him to humble himself and to become a man and to make himself a servant and lay down his life on the cross, that picture is just different than what Paul is seeing here. And so he says, one says, I'm of Paul, another of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man and then he continues, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. And so Paul noticed they were willing or they were allowing themselves to get wrapped up and envy one another and to pick parties and to do all of this stuff. And he said, that just doesn't reflect, it doesn't reflect spiritual maturity. And so he uh, notices or points out or uh, identifies to some at least who were uh, not progressing and uh, their failure to, fly, to thrive. And now he moves on to their, his encouragement to grow. Encouragement to grow. And so they wanted to be fed with milk. That was what they were comfortable with. That is what they wanted to continue to, uh, to enjoy. But, but there's not going to be much of that in Hebrews. He's going to continue on challenging them to grow. And so that's what he's going to do. We're go let's go ahead and read the first three verses one more time. Therefore, of chapter 6, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. And he's going to move on to some other things, and then, of course, soon we'll get back into uh, what he's saying about Jesus and him being priests. But he lists some things that are elementary, some things that are the very foundational things, the ABCs. And, he, and he's going to list some things, and then he's going to say, I want you to progress beyond these things. 
I want you to know these things, but I want you to progress beyond them. I want you to grow up. I want you to become a man, become a woman, become an adult. I want you to not only be willing to hear, but to hear it and then begin to apply it. And with use and with uh, doing things, you're going to develop spiritual maturity. And I want you to be prepared to take this journey with me. When he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, he's not saying I want you to abandon the basic things. It's not saying I want you to forget about them or, or, or move beyond them in that sense, but rather this is a foundation upon which you're going to build your life. This is something you're going to build on. This is something that you're going to go beyond. You're going to continue to progress in. You're not going to build a foundation and then just decide to camp on it your whole life, but you're going to grow. You're going to move beyond it. Just like we don't forget about our ABCs. We don't, I still sing the ABC song sometimes when I'm looking through trying to figure out which letter comes before the other letter, but we want you to start doing more with it. <clears throat> and so here's some things that he is speaking about. In, um, in these verses. And he mentions three of them, I think, that are in two parties. So there's really six things listed, but I think we could understand them uh, as being three things with two parts to them as well. He mentions repentance from dead works and faith toward God. He mentions um, uh, the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, and then the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. What we're going to do is look at these briefly and then uh, talk about how we might grow beyond them as a Christian. And it's interesting, the things he lists, it's really surprising to me how he lists them and the way he lists them. Uh, but let's talk about them as they are in terms of foundational Christian truths. And there, are, there is a perspective out there that is also uh, helpful, I think, the understanding how some of these things he mentions play out in terms of a, how the Jews understood some things and how they bring them into following Jesus Christ. There was a lot of transition going on for the Jews in particular. We're going to look at them as how they are foundational as a part of Christianity itself. Um, First of all, he mentions repentance from dead works and faith toward God. What was the first thing Jesus said as he began his ministry? It was the same thing John the Baptist said in many ways. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Simple understanding that we're sinners. A simple understanding that the path we're headed on leads to death, leads to uh, destruction isn't good, isn't right. It's not a path I want to continue to follow. I'm alienated from God. And so repentance, understanding our condition, making a decision regarding that, the Holy Spirit convicting us and identifying that in our heart and life is foundational to what it means to be a Christian. Repent. And then where do we put our faith? Is there hope? Is there someone we can trust in? Yes, God has provided for us. There is a way to God. He said, made promises to, uh, of such to Adam and Eve, and we see the path through all of Scripture. We see it now fulfilled in Christ who's come, laid down his life for us. And so put your faith in God and trust in what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. These are so important, and we sing about them, but repentance is at the very foundation of what it means to be a Christian, and we repent continually as we go through our Christian life. Unless some of you have figured out how to be perfect since then. But isn't it true we, we are continually, maybe daily, repenting as we confess sin, as we talk with God, as we put things into practice and sometimes do it clumsily. But we're learning and we're growing. Secondly, he mentions the doctrine of baptisms and of laying, ons of, on, laying on of hands. 
And we notice whenever we read in the Bible about someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they're baptized. It's interesting, isn't it, how Peter preaches to the uh, crowds at Pentecost, and there's people from every type and nation and place, and God works through his message, and he preaches a really amazing message. You can read in Acts chapter 2, and uh, many thousands come, and they ask, they're pricked in their heart and their conscience, they ask, what must we do to be saved? I have the wording here. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. They're pricked in their heart. They say unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We learn that, in, that at one time, 3,000 uh, receive his word and are baptized. Baptism being a picture of what Jesus Christ does in his death on the cross and then his resurrection and we uh, die in Christ. We rise again. We'll rise again with him uh, in, in, when we go to heaven. And so we, we identify with Christ through baptism and through obedience to that. That's a foundational thing. Laying on hands is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us at the very beginning of, uh, of salvation. And then resurrection of the dead, the reality that we won't just die and disappear but as Jesus rose again, so we rise again with him. There is a time after death where we will stand before God and give an account to God. And he doesn't elaborate on any of these things. He merely states them and expects his readers to move on along with him. He says it there. I've got to go back to Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 6 once again. He says... Um, Leaving, therefore, the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on, let us progress unto perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Okay, so we're encouraged to grow. How do we grow? How do we grow? First of all, let's not be lazy. It's possible to begin well only to find ourselves a few years down the road not having made the progress one might have expected, especially with how good you started. And it's difficult sometimes to grow. We start on a journey, and we figure, find out that it's, it's different than what we had expected. We, we find out that something is, is difficult. We find it difficult or scary or, or, or whatever the case may be, and so we distract ourselves with other things. And, and, and just an example, how many of you think it would be uh, interesting if we all lost the ability to walk, like completely, like babyish level, and, uh, and having to learn how to walk? And I know some people have been through health situations. I have a family member who uh, had a traumatic brain injury and took took a lot of, of therapy to get, you know, just to do the things you normally would expect to do, uh, just to learn those things again. Uh, but what is interesting about a baby learning to walk? It, it's such a fascinating exercise. They, they struggle a lot to get up on their feet, don't they? And what do they do a lot of as they're learning to walk? They do a lot of falling as they're learning to walk. They, they struggle and they, they fight and they, they bang their heads. They, they, their heads are so much bigger than the rest of their body anyways. They can't really help it. But it's, it's this very interesting pro process. I wonder how many adults would just give up 
when people laugh at them, right? They try to get up and they fall over. They hit their head. Where did you get that big old bruise? And, and so progressing, learning, asking questions, uh, this, this, can, this can be intimidating, particularly if there's people around us, for whatever reason, who may discourage growth. There's nothing wrong with dolls and toy hammers. In fact, our girls, some of them like dolls more than others. We have three of them. And, uh, but, but it is kind of a neat thing. They learn how to comb hair, and they learn, you know, some of the dolls interact. Some of them, uh, you can kind of change a diaper in a way. It's nothing like the real thing, but uh, you can learn to take care of it, and they kind of learn not to just drag it around by the hair, and, you know, they learn how to protect its neck and all of that. But, but, but at some point, it's very important for the future of humanity, is it not, for girls to learn to go on to the real thing, Right? to have a real baby and take care of a real baby. And it's, it's fine for a boy to have a toy hammer and toy construction set and a little, all of that, that's great. It's, it's, he can do what dad does or what he sees construction workers do, and that's great. But at some point, someone has to pick up a real hammer. Someone has to pick up a, a real gun. Someone has to really start to engage in life with all of its re- realities. And it's important that we're not lazy. It's important that when we find something difficult, we don't um, progress, and we're not allowing ourselves to, to just get distracted by toys and not grow. How do we grow? Well, we learn our ABCs. <clears throat> we take the time to go to school. We learn about, of course, the gospel in this case. We learn about, uh, we learn about these, but we have discipleship. It, it, it doesn't mean it's a babyish thing at all. No, we're, we're learning these truths that are so important that we're never going to outgrow. It's simply a foundation that we're building upon. And so we engage with our Bibles, we read our Bibles, we begin to learn, and, and we, be, we begin to develop just by learning uh, the elementary truths, the basic truths. I heard a story about a <clears throat> lady went to a, a pastor she had, and she said, Pastor, where's this verse in the Bible? She quotes the verse but doesn't, doesn't give the reference. Um, can you tell me where this verse is the Bible? And he said, I, I can't tell you. And she says, what do you mean you can't tell me? You don't know where it is? And he said, well, I know where it is, but I think you, you're the one who needs to go find out where that verse is. What? You mean I have to read my Bible myself? That's a lot of pages there. You know, I have to start to figure out what the Bible says and where it says it and and, and, and the encouragement was, whether she wanted to hear that encouragement or not, at that particular point in her life, was it's good for you to start to learn and grow and, and, and do some of this work yourself, not just Google it, right? I don't know if they had Google years ago. They certainly didn't have it when Hebrews was being written. I got sidetracked. Google is good and bad. It's both things. It doesn't make a great pastor. Moving on, number two, we must apply what we learn. 